The Teamsters say yes to UPS. Geo says yes to the University of Michigan. And the Writers Guild says no, you will not divide us to the AMPTP. Plus, the NLRB says union-busting companies now have to automatically recognize their unions. That's a real game-changer, folks. I'm Harold Phillips, and this is Labor Week for August 26th, 2023. Powered by the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Come on, it's Welcome to another episode of Labor Week, featuring a roundup of the top worker and organized labor headlines from the past week. As always, you'll find links to the articles I mentioned in the show notes or at laborweek.org. After weeks of voting, Teamsters working at UPS have overwhelmingly ratified their new five-year deal with the company. CNN reports that 86% of members voted yes on the five-year contract, which will now be in effect retroactive to August 1st. It was the largest margin in favor of a contract ever at the company, the Teamsters said, and the union said a record 58% of members participated in the vote. The deal was reached July 25th, a week before the union had been set to go on strike, and the ratification process took four weeks once the two sides reached an agreement. In a press release about the ratification, the Teamsters say the five-year contract protects and rewards more than 340,000 UPS Teamsters nationwide raising wages for full- and part-time workers, creating more full-time jobs, and securing important workplace protections, including air conditioning. The Teamsters weren't the only ones to win big in the transportation sector, though. Pilots at American Airlines approved a contract on Monday that will increase pilot compensation by more than 46%. The New York Times reports the deal also includes more pay when they're reassigned or are in training, improved life insurance, long-term disability, and retirement benefits. Nearly all the pilots weighed in on the new contract, with more than 72% approving it over two weeks of voting. And Transdev workers, represented by Teamsters Local 517, have voted to ratify a new contract, ending their six-week strike. These workers provide transportation services for Visalia Transit Systems and SEKI bus operations in Sequoia National Park. In a press release about the ratification, the Teamsters say the new one-year agreement is retroactive to July 1, 2023, and includes back pay, improved wages, five sick days, and more. Workers previously had three sick days and no formal time off to attend important life and family events, such as weddings, funerals, and graduations. Before we leave this week's transportation news, it's important to note that the Transportation Division of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers, or SMART, have called on federal regulators to do more to ensure conductors are properly trained in the wake of two recent trainee deaths. Josh Funk writes in the Associated Press that the union says the recent deaths of two CSX trainees on different occasions in Maryland over the past two months highlight the need for better training. The Federal Railroad Administration put out a safety advisory earlier this month about conductor training after the latest death, but the union wants regulators to take firm action. Earlier this year, a third conductor, this time at Norfolk Southern, was killed in an accident at a steel plant in Ohio. Speaking of worker injuries, 
Jersey City and Hudson County officials joined leaders from Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, on Wednesday to call for immediate action in reforming what they call an under-regulated construction industry in Jersey City and to better protect workers and honest contractors. Tapinto.net reports the press conference was held outside the One Journal Square project just days after a second immigrant construction worker was seriously injured on the job, only to be transported to the ground in a garbage container. In both this and another recent incident, union officials say the employer delayed seeking medical treatment and moved the worker without consideration of potential head, neck, and spinal injuries. While OSHA regulates and enforces federal occupational safety and health issues, their resources are limited and their involvement is usually after the fact, union leaders pointed out. Layuna believes city and county governments should adopt more proactive policies to improve working conditions, increase enforcement, and most importantly, reduce or eliminate the rates of injuries and fatalities in construction. In other building trades news, members of the largest union at Navy shipbuilder Bath Ironworks overwhelmingly approved a new three-year contract Sunday. The agreement averts a strike like the one three years ago that contributed to delays in delivering ships. The Associated Press reports the contract, which took effect Monday, raises pay in a range of 2.6% to 9.6% in the first year, a 5% increase in the second year, and 4% in the third. Workers are also receiving an increase in contributions to their national pension plan. Machinist Union Local S6, which represents about 4,200 production workers, touted the agreement as the biggest pay raises by percentage since the union's founding in the 1950s. Staying in the shipyards, newly unionized painters at Specialty Finishes in Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington, ratified a first contract that improves their health insurance and raises wages by over $4 an hour for the next three years. The Northwest Labor Press reports that the workers paint ship parts and put down marine floor coatings, and they've been making $6 to $9 an hour less than other union painters working at their respective shipyards. Hoping to make what the other union painters make, the Portland unit voted to join Painters Local 10 in August 2022, and the Seattle unit joined Painters Local 300 that September. The two units bargained together, and under their new agreement, the workers will receive pay increases, an automatic 4% contribution towards a 401k, and contributions towards health insurance. Turning to education news, after a months-long fight, the University of Michigan and the Graduate Employees Organization, or GEO, have signed a tentative agreement that prevents a strike from restarting when fall classes begin on Monday. Inside Higher Ed reports the deal includes minimum pay increases for workers on the Ann Arbor, Dearborn, and Flint campuses, maternity leave equivalent to what tenure and tenured-track faculty receive, improved health care coverage, and a $1,000 one-time bonus. The Michigan Advance reports that GEO members gathered Friday on the steps of the Rackham Graduate School at the University of Michigan to celebrate the ratification of the new contract following their five-month-long strike. However, GEO members noted their work is not over, saying they would continue their fight for equal pay for graduate employees at the U of M Flint and Dearborn campuses, as well as a living wage for master's students and protections for GEO members' right to strike. Meanwhile, in southwest Washington state, Parents are wondering if their area's school year will start on time, as multiple educators' unions are calling for a strike if a fair deal isn't reached with their respective school districts. 
KATU reports hundreds of Camas Education Association and Evergreen Education Association members are planning to strike on the first day of school in their districts. And the Battleground Education Association held a membership meeting on Friday to determine its next steps. The educators are asking for more special education support, smaller class sizes, and equitable distribution of PE, library, and music resources. Educators went on strike in Youngstown, Ohio, Wednesday, the first day of classes in that district. IdeaStream Public Media reports the Youngstown Education Association has said it's striking after months of not seeing eye-to-eye with the district on specific contract language, but has declined to delve deeply into the issues at play, beyond noting the main sticking point is not about pay. Superintendent Jeremy Batchelor, meanwhile, contended a strike would be illegal because the teachers' union rejected the use of a third-party fact-finder to help arbitrate the two sides' differences. That contention was shut down Friday, however. WKBN reports that the Ohio State Employment Relations Board voted unanimously Friday that the educators' strike is legal. Members of United University Professions voted to ratify a new contract with the state of New York in one of the largest vote totals ever recorded in UUP's 50-year history. Quote, This contract contains historic gains for our members and builds on advances made on our last contract, UUP President Fred Kowal said in a press release on the ratification vote. He continues, It rewards our members at SUNY's public teaching hospitals, who were on the front lines of the pandemic, raises minimum salaries for our lowest paid members, and provides 12 weeks of parental leave with pay, unquote. The four-year agreement was ratified by 96.4% of members who cast ballots. The National Labor Relations Board ruled this week that University of Pennsylvania students who work as residence hall advisors can hold a unionization vote this fall, despite the university's claim that students aren't employees or don't have the right to form a union. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports that 220 student workers filed paperwork with the NLRB in March to join the Office and Professional Employees International Union, or OPIU, Local 153, which represents students in universities around the region. The Resident Advisors and Graduate Resident Advisors, or RAs and GRAs, are looking for monetary compensation for their work. Currently, the student workers get housing for the year and a meal plan without a stipend or salary. And full-time faculty members at the College of DuPage in Glen Ellen, Illinois, have voted to authorize a strike, the College of DuPage Faculty Association announced Thursday. The Daily Herald reports the workers, who have been working without a contract since the previous one expired May 31st, are fighting wage losses against inflation and against the College Board's plan to remove 18 part-time counseling positions. Faculty union leaders are required to file a 10-day notice of their intent to strike with the Illinois Educational Labor Relations Board before they can legally walk off the job. There's a lot more labor news to share in this episode of Labor Week. But before we move on, we have to have that money talk again. Let's switch out of the news guy voice here. Hey folks, so you know how I wasn't able to produce an episode of Labor Week last week because of all the construction going on at my house? Well, that was only partially because of the noise. It takes a lot of time to put out an episode of Labor Week. I have to gather the stories, write the script, record, edit, and finding the time to do that in between jobs that actually pay me a little on top of managing the construction, well, 
yeah, was kind of an impossible task last week. That's where you come in. You can't help with the construction. Well, I don't know, maybe you can. I, I don't know what you do. But you can sure help with the time thing. The more of you who visit the support tab at laborweek.org and make a donation, or become a Patreon sponsor for $5 a month, the less time I have to spend hunting up other sources of income. Plus, sponsors get access to the expanded edition of Labor Week. Yeah, that expanded edition. Look, there are a lot of labor stories each week, far more than I can fit into a half-hour or so podcast. That doesn't mean I don't record all the stories before I edit the show, though. Patreon sponsors get access to the full show every week. And I've also got some other perks planned for sponsors moving forward. So, do me a favor and help keep Labor Week going. Visit the support tab at laborweek.org and make a donation or become a Patreon sponsor. It'll give me that much more time to put together the show. And, hey, it'll help me pay for the construction. Now, let's get back to the news. In a game-changing ruling Friday, or, if you prefer, a ruling that changes the rules of the game back, the National Labor Relations Board made a change to the framework for unionization in the United States, making it easier for workers to organize and harder for companies to fight back against them. As Jules Roscoe writes in Vice, the new process comes as part of a decision in the case between Simex Construction Materials Pacific and the Teamsters. The decision requires that if a majority of workers ask a company for voluntary recognition of their union, the company must either immediately recognize them or promptly file a petition asking the board to hold a union election. However, an NLRB press release on the ruling states, quote, If an employer who seeks an election commits any unfair labor practice that would require setting aside the election, the petition will be dismissed and, rather than rerunning the election, the board will order the employer to recognize and bargain with the union, unquote. If the company neither recognizes the union or files a petition, the board will issue a bargaining order forcing the company to come to the table. This ruling comes on the heels of the NLRB finalizing procedural changes that will speed up the union election process. Reuters reports that the new rule, which restores changes to the election processes adopted during the Obama administration and were largely eliminated under the Trump administration, includes a requirement that elections be held before related litigation is resolved. Now, I'm not going to suggest specific companies these new NLRB rules might apply to, but how about we talk about Amazon for a minute, just coincidentally. This week, a new complaint filed by a regional director at the NLRB accuses Amazon of violating federal law multiple times to obstruct unionization efforts at a warehouse near Albany, New York, last year. Courts.com reports the complaint reportedly accuses the retail giant of illegally firing an organizer prior to the union ballot, calling the police on employees, barring discussions of unions at the workplace, and seeking to limit employee interaction at the warehouse before and after hours to thwart organizing. ALB1, the warehouse cited in the complaint, failed to form a union last October by a vote margin of nearly 2 to 1. 
It would have become the second-ever Amazon Fulfillment Center to unionize following the historic formation of the Amazon Labor Union at Staten Island Warehouse JFK 8 in April 2022. And then there's Starbucks. They just came to mind for some reason. There were several Starbucks Workers United actions across the country this week. Check the Patreon feed to get all the details. It'll only cost you $5 per month. Just about as much as one pumpkin spice latte. Let's turn to the entertainment industry. Across Hollywood, marketers are having to scrap media tours amid the dual Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strikes, with the guilds forbidding their members from promoting any movie from a struck company. Now the box office is feeling the impact as films are opening without the full participation of stars and writers. Several studio sources tell The Hollywood Reporter that a movie's earning at the box office could be hurt by as much as 15% because of the dramatic fall-off in talent-driven publicity. So, I guess the writers and actors working on these projects do have some value, huh? At least 15%? Meanwhile, it appears the negotiations between the WGA and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers have broken down again. Deadline.com reports that after meeting with the AMPTP's negotiators and several media company CEOs, the WGA's negotiating committee sent out a report to members saying that, quote, on the 113th day of the strike, and while SAG-AFTRA is walking the picket lines by our side, we were met with a lecture about how good their single and only counteroffer was, unquote. The message to members also said, quote, this was a meeting to get us to cave, which is why, not 20 minutes after we left the meeting, the AMPTP released its summary of their proposals. This was the company's plan from the beginning, not to bargain, but to jam us. It is their only strategy, to bet that we will turn on each other." Unquote. Nevertheless, the morale on the strike line remains strong. August 22nd saw a national day of solidarity for the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, with thousands of union members across the country, and across the world, standing with members of those entertainment unions as they continue their strikes against the AMPTP. There were so many events that day that I'm going to give SAG-AFTRA and the WGA the Starbucks Workers United treatment. Check the Patreon feed to find out more about some of the events that happened on Tuesday. In other entertainment news, the musicians of the Philadelphia Orchestra have voted to authorize a strike in the event negotiations with the Philadelphia Orchestra Kimmel Center break down. Opera Wire reports the vote saw 95% of participating musicians vote in favor of authorizing the strike. The Philadelphia Musicians Union Local 77 called the vote, saying the Philadelphia Orchestra Kimmel Center had failed to address proposals to secure comparable compensation with their peer musicians in other American orchestras. Improvements in retirement benefits, fair pay for freelance musicians who play in the orchestra, and the filling of 15 vacant positions in the orchestra, among other items. The POKC's collective bargaining agreement with Local 77 expires September 10th. Let's turn to news and broadcast media, uh, news. The Writers Guild of America East and the News Guild CWA are calling the recent police raid on a tiny newspaper in Kansas, quote, an affront to the constitutionally protected rights of journalists and news media workers, unquote. Deadline.com reports the unions demanded Tuesday that the Marion County Police Department, quote, be held accountable for its raid of the Marion County Record newspaper, unquote. 
Armed with a search warrant, the police seized documents, computers, and cell phones at the newspaper's offices and at the home of its publisher on August 11th, on the suspicion that one of its reporters had faked the identity of a local restaurant owner in order to conduct a public record search. A local prosecutor later withdrew the search warrant, and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation is probing the matter. And dozens of workers at Ontario's public broadcaster TVO walked off the job Monday morning after months of bargaining. The CBC reports that earlier this month, almost 96% of the Canadian Media Guild members at TVO rejected an offer from the broadcaster. Sticking points in negotiations have been the use of contracts to fill permanent positions and wages which the union says are well below what's needed for workers to catch up to the surging cost of living. The workers' wages have been limited by a 1% limit imposed by an Ontario law capping salary increases for public sector workers at 1% per year. The law was declared unconstitutional last year, though the province has appealed. Members have received below inflation wage increases for the past 10 years, the CMG says, including three years of wage freezes. Speaking of public workers, the Sacramento Bee reports that after four months of bargaining, dozens of labor actions, and eight arrests, California's largest state employee union has reached a tentative contract agreement with the state. The highlight of the deal is a 10% pay raise over the life of the three-year contract, a far cry from the union's initial proposal of a 30% increase over three years, but still a few points higher than the state's first offer of 6%. In addition to the raises, the union also negotiated for various health care benefits. Before members can vote to ratify the deal, the agreement must be approved by the statewide bargaining advisory committee. The legislature must also vote to ratify the agreement before sending the bill to Governor Newsom's desk for approval. A small island county in Washington state is moving most of its employees to a 32-hour workweek without lowering their pay. The Seattle Times reports the San Juan County Council voted unanimously Tuesday to approve the change, which officials negotiated with AFSCME Local 1849. The union represents 142 nurses, environmental stewards, road crew workers, park workers, clerks, and other county employees. San Juan County is one of the first local governments in the U.S. to ditch a 40-hour workweek, joining a growing trend among some private employers. The county's leaders say they're making the change to keep the budget under control, address staffing issues, and give employees more personal time. Teamsters Local 350, which represents all sanitation workers in San Francisco, is calling on the autonomous vehicle company Cruise to take measures to prevent incidents with its vehicles from occurring in the city. In a press release, the Teamsters say the union is making the demand following numerous instances of cruise AVs blocking waste and recycling trucks. John Bouchard, secretary-treasurer for Local 350, said, quote, In addition to creating problems for our members, cruise vehicles have gotten stuck in wet cement, caused a massive traffic jam outside of a music festival, and collided with a fire truck all since the California Public Utilities Commission granted unlimited expansion for these vehicles less than two weeks ago, unquote. In healthcare news, Teamsters Local 283 has filed three unfair labor practice charges against Detroit Medical Center on behalf of lab assistants and customer service representatives at the hospital. In a press release, the Teamsters say the charges filed against DMC with the National Labor Relations Board are for failing to provide requested information, denying local 283 representatives access to the core lab and other labs to meet with members, and bad faith bargaining or surface bargaining. 
and the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions, which includes a dozen local unions with members in seven states and the District of Columbia, announced on Thursday that tens of thousands of workers at Kaiser hospitals and clinics across the country will vote on whether to authorize a strike. The Los Angeles Times reports more than 80,000 employees are represented by the coalition, including nursing assistants, phlebotomists, pharmacy technicians, and housekeepers, roughly 40% of the overall Kaiser Permanente workforce. Union leaders have faulted Kaiser for inadequate and unsafe staffing, and say the company has failed to bargain with them in good faith by refusing to provide them with crucial information during negotiations, among other unfair labor practices. The coalition says voting begins Saturday and will extend into the middle of September. The UAW and Ultium Cells reached a tentative agreement at the company's battery cell plant in northeast Ohio that would provide an immediate across-the-board wage increase. The Detroit Free Press reports that Ultium Cells is a joint venture owned by General Motors and battery maker LG Energy Solution, which makes battery cells for the EV batteries GM uses in its new electric vehicles. In December, the hourly workforce at Ultium Cells voted to unionize the plant near Lordstown, Ohio, after the union and the company spent months at odds over the organizing process. If ratified, all Ultium hourly employees' wages will be increased by an average of about 25%, and active current hourly employees will receive back pay for every hour worked since December 23, 2023. Staying in the manufacturing sector, United Steelworkers President Tom Conway said in the letter to members working at U.S. Steel that workers cannot rely on management to put their interests first. Bloomberg reports the Steelworkers Union plays a pivotal part in any transaction involving the sale of U.S. steel mills or assets, where the steelworkers are employed, and the USW has been vocal about its exclusive support of Cleveland Cliff's $7.3 billion bid to buy the Pittsburgh-based producer. PRI's Marketplace explains that it's pretty unusual for a labor union to have any real power over the outcome of a company's sale. But the steelworkers, which represents most of the employees at U.S. Steel, plan for this sort of buyout scenario by bargaining a successorship clause into their basic labor agreement. And workers at Seattle's Elysian Brewing Company have voted overwhelmingly to join Teamsters Local 117. In a press release about the vote, the Teamsters say the group of 33 brewery, packaging, quality assurance, and warehouse workers came together three months ago to discuss how to win a voice over issues like equitable wages, job security, and favorable working conditions. Time to update your list of union-made beers to enjoy on Labor Day, or any day. One place not to enjoy a beer, union-made or otherwise, is a hotel in the city of Los Angeles. Union hotel workers in L.A. have ramped up their fight for higher pay and better working conditions by calling on large conventions to boycott Los Angeles. Dave Jameson reports in the Huffington Post that members of Unite Here Local 11 announced the boycott Thursday, asking groups planning large-scale meetings in Los Angeles to cancel or postpone them until the union has reached new deals with the hotels, or to move the events to another town. Hospitality workers are calling for an immediate $5 per hour raise to compensate for the region's brutal housing costs. According to the union, a member survey recently showed that more than half of workers said they had to move in the past five years, or will have to move soon because they can no longer afford to live where they do. We've reached that part of the show where we take a deep dive into some of the articles, reports, and think pieces impacting working people that have come out over the past week. The labor movement's momentum over the last six months is showing historic results, 
and it shows no sign of slowing down. Bloomberg reports labor unions successfully organized more than 58,000 workers through the National Labor Relations Board's election process in the first six months of 2023, the second-highest first-half organizing total in this century. Focusing on last month's numbers specifically, Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations published its report for July showing that over 205,000 workers were on strike that month, with a total of 89 strikes and 34 labor protests. Be sure to check the show notes to find a link to the actual numbers. The CEO of Beneficial State Bank, the first U.S. bank to unionize in 40 years, writes in Fortune that, quote, We are living proof that the employee versus management dynamic doesn't need to exist, unquote. The Northwest Labor Press's Mallory Grubin talks to a number of Pacific Northwest labor leaders, union activists, and a professor to explore the question of whether our current hot labor summer is all hype or a real shift in mood? In Work Bites, Joe Maniscalco writes that the next great general strike to captivate the United States will not be organized, it'll be organic. And it could be the most transformative general strike this country has ever seen. And Oliver Anthony recently became a viral sensation with his song Richmond North of Richmond. Musician and union activist Billy Bragg released a song this week to answer Anthony's song, entitled Rich Men Earning North of a Million. Before we go, let's take a look at some of the events in labor history that occurred in the past week. August 23rd was the two-year anniversary of Starbucks Workers United forming its first organizing committee in the Buffalo region. And just look at what they've accomplished in two years. On August 24, 1970, the United Farm Workers went on strike against California lettuce growers. And August 26th is the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Finally, looking ahead to next week, don't forget what's happening next weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. The AFL-CIO has announced this year's Labor Day theme is It's Better in a Union. Looking for a Labor Day picnic or event near you? You can find it at AFL-CIO slash Labor Day. And that's Labor Week for August 26, 2023. Did I miss anything? Become a sponsor through Patreon and listen to the full show. And if I'm still missing a story from this week, let me know. Email me at news at laborweek.org or find me on Facebook and Twitter at Labor Week. As always, you'll find links to the articles mentioned in this episode of Labor Week in the show notes at laborweek.org. Just click the Episodes tab and click this episode's image. Looking to take a deeper dive into some of the stories I mentioned this week? You'll probably find it on one of the nearly 200 shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network, like the Heartland Labor Forum. Find out more about the Labor Radio Network and find your new favorite podcast, besides this one, at laborradionetwork.org. Labor Week is produced and edited by me, Harold Phillips, under a SAG-AFTRA micropod agreement. Our music is from Batitudes, Joe Hill Punk Exposure. Find out more about Batitudes at facebook.com slash Batitudes. Check the link in our show notes.
I'll see you next week.